0: the cnbc app global market news in one place customizable sections and personalized alerts stocks tracking interactive charts and market insights all in your hands stay connected stay informed download the cnbc app today A very warm welcome everybody you're watching Squat box let's get into your headlines the s p 500 closes in bear market territory while the 10-year treasury yield surges to decade highs the twos to tens curve has now inverted over growth fears. Well bets on a 75 basis point Fed hike rise sharply with Goldman and JP Morgan, the latest banks now to change their forecasts while the CME's Fed watch tool puts the odds at more than 95%.
1: Morgan Stanley chief James Gorman revises up his own forecast for a US economic downturn, now predicting a 50-50 chance of recession.
2: Crypto carnage of Bitcoin sinks to its lowest level since 2020, falling below 21,000 as frozen withdrawals spook investors, wiping more than $200 billion off the crypto markets since Friday.
0: Federal Reserve officials are reportedly now considering hiking interest rates by 75 basis points at this week's meeting following Friday's red-hot inflation reading. The uh, Wall Street Journal initially reported the FOMC was, quote, likely to deliver a bigger than expected hike. Without cite- citing any sources, while CNBC Steve Leesman later reported the larger move is now a quote real distinct possibility. Over the course of Monday, analysts at Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, and Nomura joined Barclays and Jeffries in upgrading their expectations for a larger rate increase. The Fed had previously been expected to hike rates by 50 basis points. Well, Fed Chair Jerome Powell had previously ruled out a 75 basis point move, telling Steve Leesman at May's meeting that the FOMC was not actively considering such a large hike.
3: You talked about using 50 basis point rate hikes or the possibility of them in coming meetings. Uh, might there be something larger than 50? Is 75 or a percentage point possible? Um, and it, perhaps you could walk us through your calibration. Why one month should we, or one meeting should we expect a 50? Why something bigger? Why something smaller? What, what is the, uh, the reasoning for the, for the level of, of the amount of tightening? Thank you. Sure. So um, 75 basis point uh, in an increase is not something the Committee is actively considering. What we are doing is uh, we raised 50 basis points today, and, and we've said that, again, assuming that economic and financial conditions evolve in in ways that are consistent with our expectations. There's a broad sense on the committee that additional 50 basis increases should be on, 50 basis point increases should be on the table for the next couple of meetings.
0: Well, investors are now pricing in the probability that the FOMC will hike interest rates by 75 basis points tomorrow, with the CME Group's FedWatch tool showing a 97% chance, as we mentioned in the headlines. That gauge had previously pointed to a 50 basis point move. Well, Steve and I have uh, come to the wall. Obviously, yesterday was uh, quite an interesting day in terms of market developments. Um, There'll be those out there in the papers this morning, no doubt, calling it Manic Monday or Moody Monday or or some other phrase that tries to encapsulate the sense of uh, panic that there appeared to be at certain times through the trading day. But, you know, we had a conversation this morning about looking for fresh signals or data. And all there really seemed to be was this sort of Gradual sense that the the market or investors were beginning to acknowledge the degree of the inflation challenge here that the Fed is taking on with this CPI print up near what nineteen eighty one levels and the fact that the Fed could actually go seventy five basis points rather than fifty and that seemed to be the key changer. Just a
1: very quick question. Mm. We've all. Do- I mean, look. I, mm. I haven't spoken to Steve Liesman. Right. I don't think you have either, and I haven't spoken to the other people who had these reporters, but. How- Why Are their their confidants, their Mm. sources, breaking some form of blackout period? Mm. Because we know that the... I think it's from the Saturday preceding uh, the week of the uh, FOMC meeting, Fed members go into a blackout period. So there is a whole period over a week where the Fed do not speak, where the members do not speak, the voting members do not speak. So in order for the sources to have confirmed or or to said that a 75 basis point move is likely, given the fact that we haven't been able to hear from any Fed speakers officially since that CPI print on Friday, is somebody breaking some confidence here? Or actually, or is it just an assumption in the market because of that print that people are painting as sources? I think it's a very important question because no one in the Fed who's voting is allowed to be speaking about this at the moment. So are they on a wink and a nod Mm. telling journalists or telling somebody who's telling journalists that actually 75's on the table? Or is there just an assumption out there? I no, think no, it's a really I, I, very well, important
0: point. Look, I mean, we'll have to do post-fact analysis on this, won't we? But it's either incredibly good journalism from Steve Leisman and others who've been able to yeah. get some of the Fed Amazing. speakers to Amazing. break their and confidence. Steve is as good as anyone at this. Uh, absolutely. Or uh, it's another subversive way in which the Fed is trying to alter the market expectations, which is I think what you're pointing out well, exactly. here. And then you're asking the question, is it appropriate for them to be doing that at this stage? I mean, the Bank of England has the same thing. They call it the perda, where none of the uh, speakers, uh, none, none of the voting members are allowed to break surface and talk about what they're likely to vote on. So yeah, I mean, those are the rules generally as accepted by the market or is this just journalists speculating and looking I mean this kind of feedback loop idea that the journalists are speculating based on the and market le- action and the market action is going lower because of the journalists and let's speculating. let's get
1: this right, this isn't journalism like Parada Platts and their spurious bid right. for Credit Suisse story. This yeah. is the real McCoy. This is journalists like Steve and others who are very clued in to people who are very close to the Fed or in, within the Fed as well uh, working their numbers, working their contacts really hard. So this is proper yeah. journalism rather than than that speculative nonsense on the day that there was a profit warning from Credit Suisse. My question is: is how close to the source are these sources? Yes. Uh, and and how do the Federal Reserve members know before the meeting how they're going to vote already? Because yeah. the meeting only starts or well started uh, yesterday. Uh, yeah. today. Today starts. Yeah, today. yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, who is the deep throat in this story? Which uh, uh, well, takes <laughs> us back, doesn't it? it takes us back. To, I think that's uh, a different story. Uh, let's let's have a look um, at uh, some Forty, of the. What's yeah, I mean? Well, I think the, mar- the market numbers tell the story, don't they? We don't need to really gloss or put lipstick on a pig, as they say. Um, the the numbers themselves speak uh, loudly. The Nasdaq down four point six percent here. The S and P and the Dow Jones uh, Industrial Average uh, both weak, uh, down two and three quarters of one percent here and off three point eight eight percent. What was interesting, I think, was that we knew. Uh, pretty much from the get-go. When we were sat around the desk yesterday looking at the futures, we were already indicated something like 600 points lower for the Dow before the start of the session. And interesting, just as we got closer to the start of of trade, there really wasn't a great deal of movement in that. And by the time the dust began to settle on the market closes, as you can see, we lost more like 876 points. Um, Let's break it down. Uh, let's have a look at the uh, um, more uh, detailed numbers over the year-to-date trade. So uh, you'll see a lot of uh, bear market commentary as well. The bears are growling. We've gone uh, beyond that 20% um, technical number that people look at to tell you that we are in uh, technically in a bear market here. Uh, and as you can see, it's it's been a... Um, A a steady ride lower across the year as the market has tried to come to terms with where interest rates are likely to settle on these uh, higher inflation prints. Sector-wise, did you get any protection anywhere? Well, not really, did you? Um, Your consumer staples, which I guess offer you some security, well, they were down less than other parts of the markets, but what was also interesting, I thought, the S&P Energy Uh, down 5.13%. Is that the market then trying to get ahead of the idea of an inverted yield curve and say, well, if there's one sector that looks like it's had a very strong run that deserves to come lower, it is the energy space. And the argument for that being that if growth craters, energy demand is also going to go the same way. Tech stocks, quick look at your tech stocks. Wonder how all those big, big uh, tech focused fund managers are doing at the moment. Um, here's a look at uh, how we're trading across uh, most of the tech. I'm not quite sure what, what's going on with this one. We'll, um, we'll get someone to have a look. another
1: life that was meta.
0: You think that was uh, meta in oh, another I life? I think
1: in another life that was meta, but that's some strange algorithm in there.
0: So. Yeah, it's, it's thrown up. Even, even the, um, the computers <laughs> had trouble calculating the, the downside for some of these stocks. But Amazon down uh, 5.4%. Netflix, as you can see, getting it on the chin again, 7.2% lower. And I think that's just a reflection, of course, of the market looking at those technology companies and asking itself which of these may do better in a recessionary environment if that is ultimately where we're going.
1: Well you mentioned the fund managers, we know that some of the biggest tech fund managers are getting hit out of sight, uh, have been buying into this dip as well and at the moment are offside dramatically. I don't need to name names do I? You guys know who I'm talking about out there. Enormous declines for some fund managers. Do you want to
0: name names? Well, we're talking about Cathy Wood, of course, aren't we?
1: And others. Uh, uh, well, Cathy Wood primarily, I mean... 30, other... Under $37, the ARK Innovation Fund yeah. yesterday. Yeah,
0: I mean, there are, there are others that did take a, a gamble on companies like Netflix, uh, but got out of them and wore their losses. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Doubling down, I think. Um, well, look, I'll just go through this very quickly, because there weren't any ports in the storm yesterday. The Treasury, the 10-year, as Jeff was mentioning, a huge increase there, multi uh, year highs for the yield. 95.97 the underlying. 3.36 uh, is the yield on the 10-year as well. The dollar continues to surge. dollar index was up uh, over a percentage point yesterday. Sterling getting absolute drubbing, not only because of domestic political factors, such as concern about the, uh, uh, the peace agreement in Northern Ireland as well and the Northern Ireland Protocol that was agreed with the EU and whether uh, Boris Johnson's going to uh, push the... Uh, well, the abort button on that deal. Uh, the Russian ruble has actually declined a little bit. Very interesting, that pair of what's been going on with the enormous oil revenues going in. And uh, some people have skepticism about the official rate there on the uh, dollar-ruble pair. It was up 3.6%. Euro now has got a 104 handle as the dollar continues to surge. Very interesting what Jeff was saying about those energy stocks. And I noticed that as well that they're up 5%. But... Um, down 5%, percent i a big pardon. but look what the oil price has done since the close of business yesterday in the US. Brent is right back up to where it was at the start of the session yesterday, so I agree about the uh, global growth story and I agree what could happen on the demand side as and when, if that comes off as well. But the problem is, and I saw this in 2014 as well, even when you think oil should be going down, it has this amazing ability for a long while to stay really where you don't think it should be and then crater thereafter. So it's, it's a question of deep pockets, I'm afraid, if you are trying to trade this one. But at the moment, again, the supply picture being sketchy. That's why we still have a 122 handle. Asian indices. And I'm fascinated to look at some of these, actually. And actually, pretty robust on the Hang Seng. There upside, we have declines of between 1% and 1.7% for the major indices. Uh, Bitcoin. Uh, I spent a lot of time talking about this one over a considerable period of time, but safe to say it had uh, a low 21 handle uh, at one stage today, uh, 22.294. Concerns about redemptions in some part of the market, concerns about some of the rival uh, coins in crypto as well. I think we're just going to leave that one. If you're a fan of Bitcoin, this is a great opportunity to dip your toe, I'm sure. If you are like, and I have expressed my scepticism many times, you have concerns about it, then you are worried about the loss of wealth for a vast tranche of people who have been trading a long momentum trade. Let's be honest about it. I'm not going to say anything derogatory about Bitcoin now. Uh, we have a great guest coming up in 17 minutes' time. Uh, US futures, should we have a look at those? This is uh, very important uh part of the session, and you can see uh, that is why the Asian indices are off their lows. That is why Bitcoin is off its lows, let's be honest about it. It's why a lot of things are off their lows, because we have uh, the foundations of what looks like a rally at the start of trading in the United States. Karen.
2: Steve, let's talk about the consequences of these potential rate hikes from the Fed at this stage as the Morgan Stanley boss, James Gorman, has increased his odds of a recession, saying he now sees a 50-50 chance of a downturn ahead. Now, that is up from his previous estimate of 30%. Gorman stressed that he does not see a long recession, though. The Morgan Stanley CEO said he does expect the Fed to eventually get a handle on inflation, but added that it is going to be bumpy. And I think we know what bumpy means, Jeff.
0: Let's bring uh, Guy Steering straight away, Karen, Um, head of EM and credit research at SOCGen. Guy, good morning to you. Uh, Steve, not for the first time, raised a very interesting question at the wall about why suddenly we saw the New York Times, Bloomberg News, Axios and the Wall Street Journal all run stories uh, talking up the prospect of a 75 basis point move here when we know that at this point the uh, voting members of the Fed aren't allowed to talk in public. Um, was this just uh, sort of sort of g- genius uh, fortune telling from these various publications, or are they being steered in this direction and consequently should we believe that it is now seventy five basis points penciled in
2: well
3: I don't know whether they're being steered in this direction but it's I think more and more people are thinking that after the uh, Continued upward surprises in terms of inflation in the US, the Fed has to do something. I mean, I've read some commentary saying uh, they should do 100 basis points or more than 100 basis points as a one off shot uh, just to show how serious they are about the situation. Now, that's tremendously unlikely. Uh, but when you're faced with the fact that we keep getting much higher inflation prints, and much higher surprises, I think there's a temptation for everybody, every commentator to saying, well, they're not doing enough. They need to reach for the bazooka. So let's see them do something big. James Gorman talked about
0: a 50-50 chance of a recession here. Surely those odds must be going up. Do you think a recession
3: is now baked in? Um, Well, I think when you're looking at the risk markets, it's getting more and more likely. I think you need to differentiate, though, between two things. One is the pure economic outlook and secondly, the profit outlook. I would actually be more worried about profits than I would be about uh, economic growth itself. We've been in a 25-year, 30-trend of profits always rising as a percentage of GDP. I think that's more or less finished with lots of uh, global trends in terms of um, uh, deglobalization, reshoring, uh, higher energy costs, higher input costs, uh, higher wage levels, So I think that no matter what happens in terms of the economic outlook, and yes, the likelihood of an economic recession is mounting, the likelihood of a profit recession is mounting a lot faster.
2: Guy, do you think it's fair to say that Jay Powell has a huge challenge this week when it comes to communication? One, he needs to anchor expectations around inflation, that the interest rate story will do enough to tackle rising prices. And number two, to get ahead of this narrative now, as you see more and more CEOs concerned about some form of recession downturn coming.
3: Well, I think it's not just, if it were only a communication problem, that would be nice. I mean, I think it's a real problem as to what to do, because there are some signs of the economy beginning to weaken. uh, And there are a lot of signs of the economy overheating as well, which demand um, interest rate and serious interest rate action. So I think the Fed is definitely going to Error on the side of being too aggressive because inflation is here; it's with us now. The recession isn't, uh, and so and so far, the even the high frequency data doesn't look that bad. Um, so I think that they will be they will be tough, and that may risk having a recession. Yes, they may risk dipping the economy into recession as a result.
2: Can I ask you about what is now priced into the markets? Because we saw very rapid moves in bond markets yesterday and now a half a percentage point rate increase at every Fed meeting this year has been baked into the market assumptions. Is that the right pathway at this point?
3: I think it's, it, it's pretty close to our own forecasts. So in terms of our our, uh, our rate hike expectations, are not radically different from what the market is thinking. I think what you're, what I would be really more interested in is not so much what's going to happen at the front end of the curve, which is the rate hike expectations, but rather what's going to happen from five years area out, because I think that's going to tell us what people are really thinking about uh, the economic outlook. And as you mentioned, it's more, it's, I think it's even more important to, to, to find out what the market is guessing in terms of the economic outlook than the Fed. What I would expect to see is a pivot point in the curve between around the five to seven year mm-hmm. area, where the front end of the curve continues to go higher and the back end of the curve starts to drop.
1: Guy, I was going to ask you something completely different, but I'm going to ask you now about um, aggressive Fed because you mentioned how aggressive the Fed was. You don't really mean that, do you? You're just saying that because you're a bomb person. Surely you don't think that some of the highest negative rates that you I, and Jeff have had in our lifetime, that Karen had before her lifetime, surely you don't think that the Fed is actually being really aggressive?
3: Well, so I think one of the problems is that um, the headline inflation prints are extremely high because of year-on-year energy costs. Uh, And I don't know whether that's quite the right way to be thinking about real rates, whether we should be thinking about real rates in terms of underlying inflation expectations or longer-term inflation expectations. I think the Fed needs to be more aggressive in terms of dealing with inflation. And I think they will be more aggressive in terms of dealing with inflation. I mean, we can see that from the curve. Everybody believes they're going to continue to hike. Uh, but I think um, you know, they probably started a little bit late, but it was very difficult in terms of getting the timing right. I mean, we've been in a 20 year period of always adding liquidity to the markets because we hadn't had inflation pressure. And now a little bit, it's um, it's payback time. Uh, And uh, how quickly you're managing to write things is very difficult.
1: Do you know what? This is a great conversation because my other question I've just ditched now because of what you've just said. I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to strip out energy because you don't like energy as inflation. I personally think it's quite important for most people, but I'm going to strip that out. Um, and then we have 6% core inflation in the US stripped out of the energy as well. We have a 1% Federal Reserve rate at the moment at the top end, by the way, rather than uh, 0.75 at the bottom end as well. We still have a negative real rate of 5%, Guy. These are historically enormous.
3: So the, 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 it comes back to your first statement. Is it Does it make sense to say that the Fed could do 75 basis points in this kind of context? Absolutely, yes, it does. And I would agree with you that the... The impact on people's wallets in terms of uh, higher levels of energy is very significant. But that's a double-edged sword because on the one hand, those higher energy prices are creating inflation, but they're also discouraging people from spending. Would 7% interest rates, let's say 7% would be the right number, would 7% interest rates change the situation in terms of oil? Earlier on the show, you mentioned the fact that oil moves in mysterious ways. And I don't think it would respond to a 7% interest rate Uh, If we had that tomorrow. Guy, briefly, anything that you'd want to own in this environment? Well, it's difficult because I think that um, there are lots of things that I don't want to own. I mean, my personal view in terms of where we are on the bear market is we're about three fifths of the way through it in credit markets. Uh, So I'm waiting for another 80 basis point widening in terms of credit, which means. Losses of uh, probably not double digits, but close to in the equity markets uh, before I really start to get interested in terms of valuations. The most defensive areas for me are energy, which you've already mentioned, and utilities, because utilities, I think, are at the core of the green transition and they represent something that, um, that, that we need. In terms, of, uh, in terms of moving towards clean energy, which I think is still very much in the background. The other area which people are generally negative about, and I'm more positive about, would be the banking sector. Because I think banks have deleveraged so much in the past 10 years that they're a lot less sensitive to the, uh, to the economic variations, particularly in Europe, uh, than they would have been 10, 15, 20 years ago. So I think that's more of a defensive sector than people realize. Good to have you on the programme, Guy. Thanks for joining us at this hour.
2: Guy
0: Steere, head of EM and Credit Research at SOCGEN. Uh, for more on uh, Steve Leisman's reporting ahead of the Fed meeting, check out cnbc.com. Karen.
2: And the central bank action continues this week with the Bank of England uh, widely expected to hike rates by 25 basis points on Thursday. The BOE has hiked rates four times since December as inflation is double digits. The Swiss National Bank will also deliver its latest decision on Thursday. And on Friday, the Bank of Japan is up on the ticket, with policymakers keen to arrest the yen slide, which has plunged to its lows and not seen since 1998. Speaking of which, uh, the Bank of Japan is set to keep rates low at its meeting though on Friday, despite inflation pressures and the recent weakness in yen. The Japanese central bank is aiming to support the country's economy with ultra-loose monetary policy until it sees a significant uh, pick-up in wages. The consumer price level that exceeded the bank's 2% target back in April, mostly driven by fuel and food costs. The BOJ also bought 1.5 trillion yen of Japanese government bonds. That was its biggest purchase in nearly four years.
1: Coming up on the show, Wall Street's Tech Wreck. Oh, a new one. Tech Wreck bleeds into Asian trade. Okay, we're going to be live in Singapore in just a moment. Right well a little treat for everybody JP Ong joins us now from Singapore with a look at Asian equities which I think uh, in part if you uh, if you can ignore the right hand screen ASX 200 they don't look as bad as many people had feared JP good morning to you my friend
4: Good morning to you guys out there in Europe. And yes, when you take a look at how markets are doing here in Asia, it's not encouraging as well. Markets are mostly extending losses once again. It's on the back of that upsized rate talk of an upsized rate hike in the United States, talk of a potential recession there. That's really causing markets to pull back. The S&P 500 index also falling into bear market territory, not helping matters either. The Nikkei 225 today falling by about 1.7%. But perhaps the market to watch today was the ASX 200 coming at back from that extended weekend. And we are seeing that they're playing catch-up in terms of losing ground, plunging by 4.2%. It's a sorrowful session out in Sydney so far in this uh, today, with the ASX 200 set to close deeply in the red. Shanghai also trading about 1% lower and falling on the back of worries about these rising COVID-19 cases that could potentially prompt more lockdowns in the world's second-largest economy. We want to talk about tech stocks because of these rising rate pressures once again. And of course, the Hang Seng Index also falling about half a percent Once again, being dragged down by the Hang Seng Tech Index, the likes of Alibaba, falling by more than 5% in today's session alongside many of these tech heavyweights in mainland China. South Korean KOSPI also very much tech-weighted as well. They're also down by about 0.8%, but that trucker strike, which is now on its eighth day, continues to worry many South South Korean markets there. Samsung worried also that their uh, output of uh, microchips in China may be imperiled a few rays of light here. Give me shelter, asked the Rolling Stones. Well, here's Thailand and Malaysia saying, here's an umbrella, guys. The KLCI in Kuala Lumpur up by about half a percent, and Bangkok also trading about 0.1 percent higher, also perhaps just resisting some of these pressures. But the rate hike pressures, at least, it's not just tech shares that might also be in danger here. I want to take a look at the Hang Seng Property Index and also the Straits Times Index, which is down by 1 percent today. And if you look at the Straits Times Index or deeper into the Singapore market, you'll see many of their property stocks are actually deeply in the red, and this is another sector will be worth watching to see if they might also face tougher times if rates are indeed on the up. Karen, out to you.
2: JP, thank you very much for the market update there. JP on with us. Uh, Let's push on and take a look at uh, some of the news out of the mainland market. As a U.S. national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, has met with China's top diplomat to discuss security challenges affecting bilateral relations between both countries, including the Russia-Ukraine war and North Korea's ballistic missile tests. A senior administration official described the talks as, quite candid, in-depth substantive and productive the u.s is pressing beijing not to help russia beat global sanctions over its aggression in ukraine the chinese government has revealed plans to boost the allocation of resources across local government it's part of a plan to ease financial pressure and debt risks as the country nurses a slowing economy amid its worst coronavirus outbreak yet As part of the new plan, the central bank says it will boost local governments' transfer payments to nearly 9.8 trillion yuan this year, while promising to lift annual tax cuts.
1: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
2: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.